Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's a blogger, former military veteran, and adventurous individual. It's Adam Rivera. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing so good. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? All right. Well, um, I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. Um, I was blessed to have a twin brother. (laughs) <laughs> and a mother who has been active since before we were born. Uh, she's done every sport known to man in high school. And she actually used to do 5K runs while pregnant with me, my brother. Wow. Um, she's currently, to this day, a PE coach. And she's been a PE coach since we were children. So she's put us in every single sport from speed skating. Uh, my, my twin brother is actually a national speed skating champion. Um, basketball, football, soccer, track was my favorite and um i then uh started triathlons which my first triathlon my first triathlon i didn't even know what a triathlon was and i ended up coming <laughs> in first place i just was following what the people were telling me to go go left go right and i fell in first place and that feeling was so amazing that i've been doing triathlon since uh so i'm an avid cyclist i will do 20 to 40 miles every day and still be hungry for more. Um, in doing that, you know, I, I was a lot, a lot of sports. So I learned about how the body moves and and how, you know, how struggle makes strength. You know, when you go to the gym, five pounds, you know, you're not doing much. So you have to, to raise the struggle to add strength. So it, it pushed me. And um, I joined the military at 20 years old and I went to Iraq, Afghanistan, after that, I moved to Arizona for a little bit, and that's where I can ride for days on end without even stopping. And then I moved to Florida, where I was a private investigator. I did armed security um, for some celebrities and for colleges, and uh, did a little bit of hospitality, and then started doing tower climbing, which I petrified of heights and <laughs> petrified of wasp. And yet, I did that for two years until I got hurt, so... So yeah, that's a, just a little brief background of, of my, my my history. I think when you were listing all the sports, Tampa, Florida and speed skating is definitely two that don't go together because is this on the ice speed skating, I'm assuming? So or is it inline? It's inline. Okay, but now it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So so they still have inline uh, they still have uh ice speed skating. It's just it's just really rare because you have to have go to like a hockey stadium yeah. or whatever. So the teams they're spread a lot farther. Um so it's a lot harder. But um even the most recent uh female who won the gold medal, my brother actually used to raise her on inlines. Oh nice. So it's really cool how people, you know, you get you get the basic skills on the wheels and then you just transfer transfer to a, just a different. All you do is you change change the uh, the frame mm-hmm. from the rollerblades to the the, uh, the blades. So. I love that. I think going back when I was younger, I would probably be better in line than be on the ice. Knowing me, I'd be flying around with rollerblades and stuff. I wish that was an option back then. No one knew about it until you find the hidden gem somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, we actually found it on accident. So like I said, my mom was a PE coach and she would hold these events once a year or twice a year, um, you know, for the kids to be active. So she had this event at the skating rink and we were out there, you know, dancing or whatever. And once it was time to go, you know, they turned the lights on, cut the music off. 
And me and my brother, we were taking off our skates and you hear a whistle blow and you see all these people in these, these skin suits getting on the floor and they're just flying. And I've never seen anything like this in my life. I think I was 11 years old. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And it was so cool and seeing how fast they were going. And I looked at my mom and my mom just happened to know the coach. I guess he went to school with her. So she introduced us. And that weekend we were in skates on the floor and we did that. I did it for about maybe four years. And then my brother that he did it until shoot, until 18, 19 years old, probably longer than that. But then he needed to work. So he he stopped competing in that sense. And he was just doing it for exercise. Growing up, did you and your brother get along, especially with twins? Sometimes you can read each other's minds. You guys know what you're each other are thinking. Was that the bond you guys had or what type of bond did you guys share? The bond we had was exactly what you you hear on TV. Um, I would know I can be homesick at home mm-hmm. and he would be at school and I would know if something was wrong at school. Um, long before we had, you know, caller ID, I would know when my brother's calling the house just by the ring. You know, oh, that's Austin calling. My mom used to, she used to freak out like, oh, how did, how did you know? And I'm like, I don't know. Austin. <laughs> so, um, I don't, I don't, you know, so we've always been really, really, really close. We've never put our hands on each other. We, you know, we would argue a lot, um, because, he's two minutes older than me. So he would always try to pull that. I'm, I'm older than you. You got to listen to what I say. And I know <laughs> you're older than me because I was scared and I pushed you out. No. <laughs> so, uh, but other than that, our, our um, relationship has always been very, very strong. Like even my mom, she has pictures of us everywhere. Aww. And um, like, I have pictures all over, all around this room, just me and my brother. Cause we are connected by the hip. You know, I can be all the way in Hawaii well, funny story. I, I was in Hawaii. My brother was in Tampa, Florida. I was I had a football game that I needed to go to. So I bought cleats and some some shoes or some gloves. And I came back home to Florida and my brother asked me why I stole his 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 cleats and his gloves. And I'm like, how did I still be like, how, how is it even possible? I've had these for over a year now. They're, they've, they've been in my trunk this entire time. He opened up his trunk and he had this, the matching the matching cleats. And the same exact gloves in the same that is like stacked on top of each other in the back of the trunk, exactly like mine. Mirror image. Wow. And it's been like that for right, over a year. <laughs> you yeah. guys are basically twins. Yeah. If, if, that, if, that if I were to call him right now and ask him what he's wearing, he'll probably say a black shirt and some red pants. <laughs> Growing up, you mentioned all these different sports. What was the biggest thing sports taught you about yourself? Um, wow. I will say the, the thing that it taught me the most about myself is I'm extremely rebellious. Okay. When the, when the coaches would tell me that you can't, that would fuel me. You know, it, it, it taught me like, you know what, who are you to tell me what I can't do just because you can't do it doesn't mean that you know that that stigma is now on me so cool thanks coach now let me show you and I actually made it to states in in the four by four uh the 400 and I think I ran it in 49 seconds which at the time was amazing and my coach told me that I would never make it that far because I don't know why he didn't think so but regardless of why I had to I had to show him differently 
So it taught me, it taught me that, that I was just, when it, when it came to u- utilizing my body, I can do whatever I want. I, I, I can do whatever my mind tells me I can do. That rebellious mindset, I always view it as a good thing because I utilize that today where someone tells me I can't do something, I want to show them that I can do it. And people always take that word rebel as a bad thing. And it's it's not a bad word. I mean, depending on the context of how that person's rebelling, but when it's us individuals that we're getting told we don't, we can't do it, you're never going to do it. I think it just shows how much more power we have in our abilities to go out there. And even when you shared it about the track and field, you mentioned earlier, track and field was one of your favorite sports to do. And you were going to do anything to get to that accomplishment that you wanted to be featured at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, uh, just like water, water, if you have too much of it, it it's a poison. Yep. Um, so so uh, just pushing away for a little bit, society has has brainwashed us to redefine meanings mm-hmm. uh, like like to the to these days no is a curse word to children yeah how dare you say no and how not realizing that no is is to keep you protected no is 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 to to help you understand that that's you know not the direction you need to be going to it's a it's a tool but you know and just like just like rebellion rebellion is amazing as long as you're utilizing it the way it's supposed to be utilized yeah it's a tool did you have any athletes, you talked about your mom being an inspiration for you, but any athletes, any other individuals that were inspiring maybe in the sports world with playing all these different sports? Yes, I will say yes. And I just had this conversation with my mother the other day because unfortunately, all of the the inspiration I've always had when it came to athletes, every single one of them I found out cheated. <laughs> oh, so my biggest role model to this day, to this day, I don't care if he cheated to this day is Lance Armstrong. Okay. By far my biggest role model. And, and a lot of people give me a lot of stigma because I say that, but people don't realize is, yeah, he may have cheated, but at that time, who he was to me is what pushed me on my bike. Yeah. Who he was to me at that time is what made me, you know what, go until you get tired. And once you get tired, then turn around. So, so my 30 mile ride now was forced to turn into a 60 mile ride just because I needed to get back home. And, and even though, you know, he cheated and everything was a lie, Livestrong, the meaning that Livestrong was to me and so many other people, it was, it was, it was gravity that was pulling them into the direction to, to push them into who they are. So yeah, you know, he may have cheated, but it doesn't change the fact that he has still changed so many people's lives, including myself. So that was one. And then my uh, my number two is Marion Jones. To this day, whenever I would get onto the block to do my sprinting, I would do my little three, four jumps that she would do. I would uh, put my, I would shake my hand, put it, shake my hand, put it, and I'd look up, I'd kiss my chain, and I'd just blow and exhale and just wait for the gun. That's what she did. Every single, I studied her every single time she would race. I studied it and I utilized it. And yeah, she cheated. But at that time, that is what got me into going, getting, going to States in the four by four. Yep. 
So, so yeah. So even though they cheated, it does not change the fact that they helped me help mold me into the person I am today. No. And that's such an important part because a lot of times you don't hear about those things that they did until years later. So like even kids growing up, especially with Lance Armstrong, this big name in the cycling world. And then a couple of years later, or whenever it happens, it was revealed and it kind of thinks, oh, well, he loses credibility. Well, for that kid, they don't know anything of what's going on, why he did and things like that. Not saying that what they did is a good thing, but those it, those moments that those individuals had impacts a lot of people because they were inspiration to those people. But it's hard when you have that is the only thing we think about as Lance Armstrong is he cheated. Now, mm-hmm. maybe what good things he did. And you brought up that live strong. I've seen so many people growing up with that bands or the, the arm, man. the little wristbands with that phrase all over during that time. And that message was so huge in this world. So to this day, I still have the have it. Yep. And it's, it's coincidentally, I just took it off for the first time yesterday. And I just haven't put it back on. Wow. I've had it on. <laughs> forever and then i actually have it tattooed right here oh wow so every live strong and and to this day people still give me a lot of hell for it and i'm just like listen all that shows is that he's human too yep a lot of people they like to they like to put these 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 inspirational people and 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 put them on this platform of of godly and no, he's just a human just as well. You know, yeah, he may have cheated, but it doesn't change the fact that he still felt pain. He still had to wake up and use self-discipline to wake up and get on. He still had to do a lot of things. It's just he did it the wrong way. Yeah. You know, people think that it was just handed to him, handed to him, handed to him. No, he still had to earn something. He still had to do put put himself through some kind of mental strain. So, Yeah. A fun question we're always asked growing up is what's that dream job for us? Did you have a dream job that you wanted to pursue? <laughs> yes, I wanted to be um, a marine biologist for the longest time. Um, I've always been fascinated and interested with the the water, um, the animal life. And my mom, you know, she was one of those strict parents who she put, she, we we grew up watching Discovery Channel. So if I couldn't be a marine biologist, I wanted to work in a zoo. I wanted to work with the lions. I wanted to to be a part of, of helping anything, uh, learning about it, you know, being, you know, even if I could, could learn about different uh, diseases and what we can do to keep from having these diseases, I wanted to do it all. The only downfall with that is I am petrified of the ocean. And uh, manatees are the nicest animals in the world. And I jumped into the water with a manatee and I almost had a heart attack. So that just wasn't my thing. <laughs> it's interesting, but I can, I, I, I'll, I'll love you from, from the other side of the cage. <laughs> <laughs> are you able to still have that passion for those things, having those fears of the ocean and being t- fear of the manatee and things like that? You talked about being outside of the cage. Do you still have that passion for wildlife, the marina, things like that from a distance? I will say that the older I've gotten, the deeper and stronger the passion has gotten. Like it's to the point now where my mom's like, oh my God, oh my God, there's, there's a frog and I have to catch it and I have to take <laughs> it outside. 
they, oh, there's a, there's a spider. I can't even get myself to kill spiders or or anything unless it's defending something or somebody. You'll never see me cause any harm to any creature, regardless of how small it is or how big it is, how dangerous it is. No, I, because the thing is, is is us as humans, we 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 tend to forget that the reason why these creatures are doing things that they're doing is it's all about survival. Yep. You know, they're not doing it intentionally to hurt you. They're just doing it because they don't know any better. So, so the same concept, you know, I just got to love you from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So my passion has actually grown a lot to the point to, to this day, I still catch myself turning on National Geographic just so I can be, you know, learn something new about the world because these days, you, you know, you're stuck with this, the TV screen but you don't really know, like, how many times have you looked and like, wow, where did this animal come from? But it's been there this entire time. Yeah, it's just because you never experienced it or you've never you've never explored. Now it's alien to you. No, it's been there forever. It's just you know, and so I love learning about life, especially yeah, because you mentioned if it's on our phone, if it's on social media, and we find it, oh, we're more and we want to know more about it, even though, like you said, it's been out there. Just we yeah. haven't realized it and things like that. Yeah. After 18, you mentioned when you turned 20, you joined the military. Was there ever a different path before you got to, I'm going to join the military? Yes. <laughs> yes. So a little uh, backstory. Um, before I joined the military, I wanted to be in the athletics field. So I didn't know if I wanted to be a personal trainer. I didn't know if I wanted to be a massage therapist. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted wanted to be with something with pushing your body and then help re- rehabilitate, um, you know, the body. So I actually went to school for massage. When I joined the military, um, that was a huge passion of mine ever since middle school. Like I was, I graduated high school at the command sergeant major of ROTC. I was a team captain of the Raider team. Uh, I was always heavy onto the military, but then one day when I was 17 years old, I remember spending the night at my, or 16, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember my grandmother, I uh, was spending the night at her house and she was crying. And when she woke up, she said that she witnessed me dying in war and that destroyed, destroyed it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm never, I'm never joining the military. I'm never, I've never, because to to see my grandmother cry in her sleep saying my name, it, 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 it's destructive. Um, well, I ended up dating a girl in, uh, uh, when I left massage therapy and it was supposed to, you know, I, I thought I was in love. She thought she was in love, but we didn't communicate as much as we, we should have. And she came to me one day crying and she says, I'm sorry, but I got to let you know that I'm going to uh, North Carolina for, for AIT in the, in the army. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? She's like, because I didn't expect you to, to, to be so amazing. Oh. The day she left to go to North Carolina, I quit my job. I went to the, uh, to the recruiter's office. I walked in the door, like I owned the place. And I said, I don't want to hear no, no lies. I don't want to hear Y'all try to boost me up or anything else. Put me on the first flight out. Didn't even tell my mom. And I, they said, all right, cool. We have field artillery. You're leaving in six days. And I said, field artillery? Good, I'll take it. And six days later, I went to Forest Hill, Oklahoma. Come to find out the relationship was over before I was even done with basic training. <laughs> and But it it pushed me into a different direction. So 
joining the military, what was the biggest thing you were hoping to accomplish personally? Was there a goal, a skill, something that you were trying to prove to yourself that you were able to do when joining? Or was there another mission that you had in mind? Um, my, my initial goal was honestly just to follow her, you know, um, I wanted to finish basic training in AIT and then I was going to propose to her because when, as, as a married couple, you can't, you, you're going to be stationed together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my initial goal. Once I realized that the, the relationship was, was done and I was now stuck, I used that as a, as a tool of, all right, cool. Well, why am I here? I am here because I didn't have my priorities in check. I, I'm here because I was putting other people in front of me. I'm here because I was just being childish. So the military, what I wanted to do then is I wanted to be able to experience things to feel like a man. I wanted to feel like I was an adult. I wanted to feel like um, I basically stayed in the military because of, simply because of a feeling. Um, I wanted, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to try to prove anything to anybody else, but I wanted to prove to me that I can. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I did it. Was there ever a challenge that you face that made you second guess this decision or kind of put a lot of fear in your mind? No. Um, I've experienced a lot in both of my deployments. So in Iraq, I was... Uh, the quick response force down in Saddam's palace. I was the gunner on top of the trucks. Uh, I had a 240 Bravo Mark 19 or 50, 50 cal, depending on the mission. Um, and then in Afghanistan, I was a TED, a tight close post detection dog handler. And I found bombs right on the Pakistan border. Um, doing that was extremely scary. Uh, I was in a lot of danger. We got bombed every night to the point where it was actually like clockwork. You would hear the bombs going, all right, mom, well, the bombs are going, I'll be back tomorrow. That's how calm it was. Um, But I will say that the biggest struggle that I actually had in the military was not war, was not the separation, was not the traveling. It was the leaders. My unit had such horrible leadership that I was forced to test myself. I had to, I had to work on my self-discipline so that I wouldn't get myself in trouble by reacting to, to things that they were putting me through. Um, I had to, to work on my, my motivation because, because as you know, um, motivation is temporary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's how you treat things on your bad days that shows you who you are. So I would look at my bad days and I would learn from it. And I would, I was like, all right, cool. This is how he reacted this is how I reacted to his, what could I have done next time to keep from this happening? So next time it would happen, they would give me hell or they would try to do something instead of lashing out. Roger Sergeant, Roger Sergeant, push, Rivera, push. Okay, Roger Sergeant. And, and I did everything with a smile on my face. And, and so, so yeah, there was a lot of things that I had, a lot of struggles I had in the military, but I thank God every day for me going into the military, going through those struggles, because because of that, that's the reason why I'm the positive person I am. That's the reason why I'm the lover that I am. That's the reason why I am the protector that I am, because 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 the things that I saw in the military was so painful that now I want to do everything I can to make the future better. Do you feel the challenge with leaders and the path that you took 
it kind of gave you the idea. We kind of talked about this before the recording about how you didn't want to be at the nine to five job, but you wanted to be your own boss. Did that, that kind of start the whole, maybe I want to be my own leader, my own boss and kind of have that control because in those situations, your control is on someone else's hands and you can't have that voice to speak up because in military, it's probably not right to speak like that to a leader. Yeah. Um, I will say that, no, that um, what I went through did not in the military did not make me not ever want to do the nine to five um, because at the time I didn't I didn't know anything more than a nine to five. Um, you know, you see people talking about being doctors or lawyers, well, they still have to clock in. So in my head is there, you know, there, you're always going to have to work. You're always gonna have to clock in. You're gonna have to work for somebody. Um, so that was never really a thought process in mind. But my, what I did know is, is I started to, to have E6s, E7s, well, Sergeant First Classes, um, other higher ranking sar- soldiers coming to me for advice. And when I started seeing, seeing these people coming to somebody who's just a specialist in the military asking me for advice or coming to me when when the lights are out and and because they need, need somebody to talk to I started seeing that you know what leadership is a lot more than just being in charge leadership yeah. is a lot more than just being a boss leadership is 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 a teacher is is somebody who who can guide it has nothing to do with your oh wow you're an e5 so I can never talk to this person because you can learn a lot leadership is all about learning leadership is all about understanding and so the military helped me understand how to be a great leader by having horrible leaders, because the things that I would would feel when certain people would treat me certain types of ways when I had the leadership position. Now, I know, you know what? We're friends now. You know, if 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 you ever need something, your work, you know, we can get a lot farther if we work together rather than me just mushing, mushing, mushing you because you're only going to give me the bare minimum. And so, so that's, that's what I love about the military because I did become a better person because of the, the struggles that I went through. When did you know it was the time to change directions and leave the military and go to the next challenge or the next path or chapter in your life? Afghanistan. Afghanistan, 100%. My first sergeant was by far, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say any names, but my first sergeant was by far the worst leader that I've experienced in my entire life. So um, as, and there was this one incident that, that told me that I would have to leave is um, in my, in my unit, we had only two dog hammers, myself and my sergeant, and they wanted to have one dog permission. So we'd have eight or nine missions or units that go out on missions. And so that, so they were coming home every day, but sometimes we just get tag teamed and handed off to another, another uh, unit. And we'd be out for three, four five days at a time with what, what we have packed, you know, to survive off of. And my first sergeant just happened to, to ride with one of my unit uh, with one of my units. And I'm on day three or day four and I'm I'm hot, I'm dirty, I'm sweaty. My dog doesn't have any rest or whatever. And all I did was simply just roll my sleeves up half halfway up my arm. And I took my eye pro off because your eye pro gets all, all foggy and stuff. And I'm looking for bombs. So I needed to be comfortable. And every 30 seconds, Rivera, put your eye pro on. Rivera, put your uh roll down your sleeves. Rivera, put your 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 uh your knee pads on. 
or roll your note knee pads up. And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to save y'all's lives, you know, but you're going off of the, the, by the book. And, and I understand that, you know, knee pads are there for a reason, you know, but as of right now, the knee pads are keeping me from doing my job. Once we get into that situation, the knee, knee pads, there's nothing to slide them up. Same with my eye pro, same with my, 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 my um, sleeves. And the thing about a dog handler is when you're in, de- when you're deployed, you can't have any animals come, come in contact with your, uh, with the dog. So in Afghanistan, there's a ton of just random dogs. And what they do is they cut their ears off as puppies to make them mm. more aggressive. Um, so we had a moment where we had like six or seven dogs howling and, and circling around us. And we had to, you know, we had to take care of the dogs so that they wouldn't come and t- 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 touch my dog because if they touch my dog, I'm in quarantine for the next three months and they can't utilize me. Well, unfortunately, because my eye pro was fogged up, I can't see anything. Well, I see a big figure over here rushing towards me and I don't know what to do. So I, you know, put, point my gun out and something's like, yo, take your glasses off. So I take my glasses off and it's my first sergeant. He, I thought he was the dog. The moment we got the situation handled, he turned back back at me and immediately wrote me an article 15, um, which is, I think it's two months, half pay and 45 days of extra duty because I was, I, I, this, I, I didn't, I disobeyed a direct order and not knowing that he almost died with them on me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to learn from the self-discipline. I'm not going to react. I'm going to to take this punishment, but because of this, I can't do this anymore because I wasn't going to risk it. You know, you're already deployed and deployments are hell as it is. Why are you making things harder just because you're in charge? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was my turning, turning moment where I'm like, you know what? I'm done with the military. I can't do this anymore. Were you nervous coming back with maybe not knowing what was the next game plan for you, or this was your opportunity to go out there just enjoy experience what's out there no I wasn't nervous at all honestly I was excited (laughs) um the nervousness came once it happened so Mm -hmm. the best way I can put this is a lot of high schoolers they're not looking at getting a job they're not looking at you know getting a house they're not looking at none of this stuff until they cross the you know cross the stage and now they cross the stage and just like well, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's where I was at. Once I got out of the military and I moved to move back home, I'm like, yes. Who do I talk to? How do you talk? You know, how do you fill out a resume? You know, you know, from from birth to 18 years old, you have your parents making all your schedules and everything else. And then when you join right out of high school, now you have sergeants telling you how to do all this stuff. Well, now here I am, a grown man. I don't know how to make a phone call to the doctors or dentists and and. And you don't, and you don't know. So it was a huge trauma. I will say it was a trauma of mine because now, like to this day, I still have problems and I have to ask my mom for, you know, answers, you know, like, okay, well, how do you do this? What do you mean you don't know how to do this? You're 34 years old. Oh, (laughs) me, you know? So that was where that was. But at the time it was not, it was not a big deal at all. I just, I was just excited to be getting away from all 80 moms that I had telling me what to do. (laughs) Yeah. In my intro for you, I mentioned you were an adventurous individual and you kind of talked about being a thrill seeker, enjoying all these different activities. What has been one of those activities that has kind of been 
eye-opening, amazing, and thrilling for you? There's so many. We can talk so, about it. Yeah. All right. So, damn. The only way that I can only uh, I can I can express this is to tell you why I'm an adventurist. So, one thing about me, um, and it's been thrown in my face with every single one of my relationships, which I don't know why, um, <laughs> but I'm petrified of everything. I am to this day. I'm I'm scared to get in a fight. I'm scared of hurting people's feelings. I'm scared of getting hurt. I'm I'm petrified of everything. Uh, I'm extremely insecure, you know, both, you know, with with my mindset and even my looks, I'm extremely insecure. Uh, but that is what makes me the adventurous person I am because I learned that the only way you can overcome fears is by doing it. Yep. So, um I'm petrified of heights, petrified of heights. So when I was, when I, when I'm scared of heights, I jump out of planes (laughs) and um, there's a, there's an interview with Will Smith that he nailed it. I saw this interview, I think two years after I jumped out of a plane and he, to this day, I, I watch it regularly, like maybe once every month or so, just, just to get that feeling again. And he's like, uh, why was I, miserable the night prior in bed i'm not there's no there's no reason to be afraid i'm i'm in my bed why am i why am i afraid why did i why was my breakfast miserable why was the drive to the airplane horrible you know i couldn't even i couldn't even enjoy that and you know even flying up you know flying up in the airplane it was it was beautiful and he says that you know they count on count of three but they push you at two because when you say three he you know you you stop and he says, but the moment he was in the point of no return, he says he was in utter bliss. So you're safe in bed, but you're miserable. You're safe in your car, you're miserable. But the moment of, of utter danger, you're at bliss. And he said this one thing, and it changed my entire perspective of life. God puts the most amazing things of life on the other side of fear. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I started writing down, what do you fear? You're insecure. So I started wearing spandex. I started wearing spandex all the time to the point where people were like, why are you always showing off? Why are you always showing off? I'm not showing off. What I'm doing is I'm putting myself in an un- a, a uncomfortable position so that now I don't have to be uncomfortable. Anymore. I don't like being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I may have to, you know, to, to, to test those waters and feel discomfort temporarily but I'd rather feel it temporarily and, and become a professional of being uncomfortable than letting it control my life. So um, there's a little bit more to, to that is after I listened to the, the interview and I knew I was insecure and everything else, I actually became a nude model at art classes. And yeah, <laughs> and what ended up happening is one of the, the ladies, you know, she saw me sitting there shaking and I, I had a huge smile on my face and I was in a robe. And she was asking, she's like, is this your first time? I said, yeah, this is my first time. And she's like, well, well why are you doing this? You know, if, if, if this is something that, that bothers you, I like, it doesn't bother me. And she's like, well, why are you doing this? I said, because I want to jump out of a plane again. And then immediately I just dropped the robe. <laughs> I, and, and the moment I did that, I was, it, 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 it's like a, a giant weight was lifted off my back. And it was, it was utterly amazing. And I, and then, you know, of course it was still hard, but then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, it started getting easy and easy and easier. And before you know it, I was doing that for about a year and a half. 
Wow. Like they were, they were calling me, sending me emails, requesting me to show up just because of how confident I was doing it, not realizing that I'm, I was deathly afraid. Um, so that was one. I've told you I'm petrified of, of the water and deep, deep ocean. So what did I do when I lived in Hawaii? I went on a boat and I went out 30, 45 minutes out as deep as it can get. And I swam with sharks, petrified of sharks. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm petrified of, of my worst fear when it comes to animals or wasps. Anything, anything that flies and stings, I do not mess with. I will <laughs> let a wasp be in my backseat when I'm driving and I'm wrecking it just so I can kill the wasp. It's, it's, I'm petrified. But I was tower climbing. I faced my fear every day and I would just, just one step at a time. Like, you got this, you got this, you got this. I trust my equipment. I checked it every time I go up there and I'd go up there and I just experienced it. And people were like, why do you do that? Why do you push yourself? Why do you do this? Why do you do this? And I said, because life in one word is literally just experience. I don't want fear to keep me from living. I don't want, you know, the fear of these heights. I said, I said, you're afraid of this, but you'll never see a sunset from that high. You know, you, you know, you're, 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 you're petrified of, of, of this, but, but until you get to be there and then it was, it was really, it was really crazy is that once you be, once you get there now, everybody's thinking that you're like a superhero. No, I'm not. I just was, I allowed my courage to be a lot stronger than my fear. And that's, you know, so yeah, I've, I've done it. I've, I'm an adventurous just because I'm I'm petrified of everything. And it's just a huge adrenaline rush. Like even in, in the military, when we would go and have these really serious um, scenarios where it was extremely dangerous. Yeah, it was scary. Yeah, we didn't want to be there. But the moment we were safe, we're just like, ooh, can we go back? Just, just for a little bit longer, you know? So yeah, so that's why I became an adrenaline junkie because I love testing myself. I love being able to push myself through obstacles that that frees a lot of people. I like to be able to keep moving when, when the body's telling you to stop and it feels good. Is there an item in the future that you want to do? That's adventurous that you haven't done yet. Ooh, honestly, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I could probably name a few things, but it's it's not necessary. I got all of the 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 major ones I want to do. I've already done. Mm-hmm. So now everything else is like, okay, cool. Well, you know, do you want to go white rather rafting, rafting? You know, stuff like that. Like yes. I, you know, I would love <laughs> to do, but it's not to the level of skydiving. So I think yeah. that the, the hardest things I could have or would ever want to do, I already did. Because you'll never see me bungee jump. I'm never going to do that. I'm, I don't care how <laughs> I am. I don't even want to face that fear. I'm not bungee jumping at all. <laughs> but uh but everything else i i think i've already done the, the hardest things that i've ever wanted to do see i want to bungee jump i don't know i keep getting all these videos on social media about it i'm like okay that looks fun that looks fun now i need to go find a place that does it so i'm like always googling okay what's the closest place i can go I have to fi- I have to find better places because there's nothing near me. So uh, I, I got to find. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But you mentioned whitewater rafting, and that's always been a dream because I see it and it's so thrilling. And my show is all about rising to a challenge. And those whitewater rapids, they're a challenge. I mean, they don't care who comes on a raft; they are going to challenge you. And I think when you get to the end of it, you get become even stronger. 
mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. And it's just, it's worth the experience. It builds your confidence. It builds everything. Like you don't, you, uh, of course, other than getting hurt, there's nothing that you can lose from from attempting it. Yeah, It's awesome. And that's why I can't wait to do it. A big moment in your story it was an accident. Talk about that moment and go through the mindset, the mental health through that experience. All right. So uh, the, the, I was, I still remember like it was yesterday. I was, I just left the chiropractor uh, around nine, nine thirty in the morning and I was on my way to work and it wasn't a motorcycle. I just say motorcycle just because uh, when you say scooter, a lot of people like this to talk about the things that you stand on. But it was a it was a it was a pretty fancy high tech moped basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a scooter, um, and it, it 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 was one of those that go up to like 70, 80 miles an hour or whatever. Well, I remember riding to work, perfectly fine. I blink and I wake up and I'm in in a hospital bed, and I have my mother and a doctor. And the doctor reaches over and he says, "Hey, do you know where you are?" And I said, "It looks like I'm in a hospital." He says, yeah, you were in a really bad accident on Monday. And I said, what's today? He says, today's Thursday. And I went, what happened? And he says, uh, while you were riding, um, a work van did a U-turn and cut in front of you. And when it cut in front of you, you smacked directly in the side of it. And you don't have any road rash or anything else because you didn't slide. You literally hit it like it was a brick wall. And uh, in the process, he says, be careful when you when you, you know, try to try to move. But your leg is broken um, and you have a titanium rod from your kneecap to your ankle uh, to be able to hold the bone in place. Um, He says you broke your left elbow. So I have titanium that starts about halfway up my forearm and then it comes all the way down to about the back of my bicep. Um, And then I had a collapsed lung. I fractured my ribs. I fractured the left side of my face. I broke my neck. And then I also broke my lower back. And a month after my accident, I was complaining about my right leg only to find out that even my right leg was snapped. And I was walking on it the entire time um, since my accident. So that was the physical portion of of what happened in the accident. Um, Mentally, I will say that the first about a first month I feel like I was possessed and not possessed in the the exorcist type way or whatever but possessed as in the person who was in the accident died and then something else came into me which when it came into me it took my my memories it it or I still remember the memories they were still remembered all that I was addicted to um, like anything that I wanted to do, all my bad habits, I remembered it, but I wasn't the same person because instead of hitting the snooze button, I was enjoying waking up at five o'clock in the morning. And I will say that the first month I was actually, actually maybe the first two months, I was so positive that people didn't understand what was going on. You know, like uh, I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel frustration. Yeah, I felt a ton of pain, but even in the pain, I was so grateful for just being able to breathe. You know, um, me waking up and breathing was as if you were to look at your phone right now and look at your bank account and you were to have six zeros behind what you already have. That's what it felt like just to breathe. Um, And so, you know, uh, with that positive aspect, I think that's what helped me be able to push through the pain as, as the way that I did. 
Um, I, you know, I would, I would force myself to get up and then just walk to the door and walk back and then sit down and for the next three hours, just recuperate from just doing that because the pain was so excruciating, but I had a great positive uh, mindset with, with it because I was only in the hospital for a week. I was wow. in the hospital for a week. And um, from there, they said, you're good. Go into the, uh, go back home. I, I moved in with my mom. They did say though, you know, just be prepared. You know, we don't want, we don't want to diagnose you or whatever, but just be prepared to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. And if you do get out of a wheelchair, you're going to need assistance. You're going to need crutches. You're going to need a walker. You're going to need a cane. You're going to need something. And I looked at the doctor and I didn't tell him this at the beginning, but I ended up telling him this later on. But I wanted to say is, how do you get the strength to get out of bed if you never get out of bed? And so every time the doctors would leave, I'd get out of bed. Even if I just had to stand there, even if I had to just put my weight on my bones to push the bones together, even if I, even if I had to, to twist my, my shoulders, just something, I needed to do something. Um, the, when it started to get extremely hard though, is, and this is the, this is the, the moment, the first time I even cried after the, the fact, and I think it was like maybe three months in is when, um, I had to take, uh, get a CAT scan or, or something, whatever they do to be able to look at, at your, my neck. And they said it was so bad that I was going to need it, need it, need surgery immediately Mm. (laughs) immediately and when he said that i call it he put me through hell literally i think he he, when he when he told me that i literally was in hell so the way that i i explain express this is have you ever watched a movie where everybody's having fun they're out out drinking whatever and you see a girl get take a drink and then the next scene is her bound on a table in a dark room and she's like at first she's questioning it you know like what's going on but then it hits her this is real this is what's really going on him telling me that that i needed neck surgery is is that real moment of wow this is actually real and that is 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 the beginning stage of of why a lot of people stay where they are at because mm-hmm. they accept it you know i'm in this horror movie I'm bound to this table. I'm. I, I can't fight. There's nothing for me to do. Well, then shoot. I, let me just ride it out. And what I told myself is is, and I think it was about a week long. Is the deeper, deeper, deeper I got into this depression, into this hell, the more I saw. But then one day, my positive mindset flicked, and it everything that I saw flipped. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I may be in a part of a, a horror movie, but I'm also the, the director. Yeah. Let's turn this horror movie into something beautiful. And that's when hell started turning into heaven. That's when I started telling myself, you know what? You're not going to accept this. You're not going to allow people who aren't ex- experiencing what you're experiencing or experience what you already overcome. You're not going to have these people tell you what you can and cannot do. And it reminded me, and I, had a, I didn't have a choice but to remind myself of who I am. And I reminded myself is, oh, you survived Afghanistan. You just survived Iraq. You survived swimming with sharks. You survived all of this. You have the ability to to breathe. And as long as you have the ability to breathe, you have the ability to get up. And I got up 
So within seven weeks, it was excruciating, but I was able to hold my walker in my hand and take my first steps without any assistance. Wow. Seven weeks later. Yeah, that was a rough time. (laughs) Looking at that journey you've been on, did you ever think you would get to where you are today with how you feel, how you feel mentally, physically, and emotionally? Or during that time, did you think, I don't know what's going to happen five years or how many years down the road, things like that? No, I never expected to be the, be where I'm at today. Um, I never expected to, to get back on a bike. I never expected to get on back on speed skates. I just bought a pair of speed skates a month ago and I've been riding them almost a lot. Um, I never expected to be able to move without being in pain. You know, I can do jumping jacks right now. I never, I never expected that. Uh, but I will say that I treated every scenario as if I wasn't hurt. So I guess how they say, you know, take things, you know, one step at a time or day by day. That's literally all I did. Rather than looking at where I want to be, I just looked at this one step mm-hmm. and I did take this one step. And I'll take this other step and then take this other step. And then on the process, all right, cool. Now I can do this. All right, well, what, what, what can you do this a little bit harder? And I just did it one step at a time before now I'm here. And I'm, and, and, and I don't even know how I got here. For someone that's listening, that's gone through an accident. What would you tell them to boost their mind, get them going, get them taking that first step into the direction that they want to go in? What I would say is you are the director of your own movie. You are the director of your own movie. And yes, I understand there are a lot of things that are permanent, but the great thing about being human is that we are great. We are phenomenal at adapting to things. You know, there's people who have been paralyzed from the neck down that became multimillionaires. You have people with no arms and no legs that, that have a beautiful wife and kids and, 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 what I, the only thing I can say to them is do not accept it. You know, yes, I understand that there are struggles, but you, ha- you also have superpowers that are way better than those struggles. You know, you might have a great mind. You may have a, a great something to, to offer. Um, a lot of people, they, 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 they tend to, to want that pity party. And it's not to, to talk bad about people. But it's comforting. You know, when you go to AA meetings or whatever, they're like, oh, wow, you're so strong. And oh, wow, you're so amazing. Oh, wow, you're so this. And people want that rather than telling themselves that. You know, you have all of these, these, these people that are, that are staying where they are just so they can hear it from other people. Well, my thing is this, is if you wake up every morning and you start telling yourself these things and you start believing it within yourself, nothing anybody else says is going to, is, is going to deter you. If anything... All the, the, wow, you're so strong is just adding to what you've already did for yourself. Do not accept what you're going through. Do not accept what people will tell you don't, you know, and, and also understand that just like I said earlier, struggle creates strength. A lot of people don't want to feel that pain. A lot of people don't want to feel that discomfort. A lot of people don't want to do that. And, and in, in doing so, that's why you have people who are like, wow, Adam, you're, you're an inspiration. I don't think that I'm an inspiration. I really don't think that I'm an inspiration. I honestly feel that I'm doing what everybody else should be doing. 
So, so, you know, like even now I have a lot of people that badmouth me, you know, like, oh, you're, you're showing off, you're showing off, you're showing off, you're doing too much. You know, why are you always have to post this? And why do you always have to do this? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not showing off. What I'm trying to do is show you that it is possible. That's all I'm doing because I don't need to show off because I already have the confidence and the understanding of who I am within me. You know, I don't need outside people to tell me that I'm strong. I don't need outside um, audiences to, to, to applaud me or cheer me on. No, I do my own applauding. I do my own cheering. And I just, and, and so I want to go out there and show people that just because you're going through a struggle does not mean that this is the end of your road. So what does the future look like for you? What is Adam going to accomplish or looking forward to in the next few years, both personally and professionally? Personally, I have already put into my my brain that I am going to do my first competition in a triathlon by the middle or end of next year. I've already put it in my head that personally, that's what that's my goal is, is, is to be capable of doing what I was able to do before my accident. Personally, that's what I want to do. Um, professionally, I want to be a motivational speaker or not necessarily a motivational speaker because motivation, like I told you, is, is temporary. I want to be a transformational coach. You know, okay. I want I want to be able to help guide people when the motivation isn't there. I want to be able to, to help teach people um, how to overcome their fears, overcome their insecurities, and and honestly see life for what it really is. You know, I want to go to mental health facilities, um, you know, and you know, and and, and talk to psych psych what is this psych psych what therapists and stuff like that. I want to be able to talk to them and and show them what I was able to do to to get to where I'm at, so they could possibly utilize those those tools to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. I want to go to um, hospitals, you know, people who've been in similar um, accidents, if not worse accidents and show them and and boost their, their morale to help them get up and keep moving forward. I want to go to juvenile detention centers. I want to, to show the younger crowd that there's more to life than what you see on social media. Like that's what I want to do professionally. I want to be able to help guide people into a better direction rather than just accepting what society is is throwing out there you know oh well you're supposed to only you know you're supposed to work nine to five you're supposed to have a job you're supposed to go to school and you're supposed to do this you're supposed to do this you're supposed to do this i'm like well if that is the case we wouldn't have all these inventions Mm -hmm. because if everybody stuck to the script we just be we'd still be exactly where we were 500 years ago you know, you need to be different. Yes, yeah, some school doesn't work for everybody else. Yes, all all school is, in my my honest opinion, is just a uh is what is it? It's the it's the building block. It's yeah. you know, it's it's initially just telling you the basics. Utilize the basics and now add to it. You know, I feel that we all should go to school. I should I feel we all should read books. I feel that we should all should should learn something because knowledge is definitely power. Mm-hmm. But I want to show people that this screen right here isn't. It, there's so much more than than the screen. Yep. Yep. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview, based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles 
accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? The best thing that I can say is to, is, is to remind yourself what you learned as a child. As a child, how many times have you fallen and bumped your head and the moment mom says, all right, cool, you bumped your head, let's go inside. You're like, no, 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 no. And you just wiped it off and kept going. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as a child, when when you were in school, you had to raise your hand. You know, you raise your hand. The reasoning why is because it helped you learn communication. It helped you learn to to listen before, you know, listen to understand rather than listening to respond. You know, as adults, we, you know, we have all these arguments. You have all these breakups and relationships all because everybody's listening to respond to you and you're not even allowed to, to, to respond back. You know, how many times do you raise your hand when you're in school, but then you put your hand down because before she called on you, she answered the question. And it's yeah. the same concept when it comes to road rage and, and, and the way that people are with this entitlement of, of, of having to wait. Well, you had to wait in line to get lunch at school and you learned that no matter where, what place you were in, you still ate, you know? So that's the only thing I can say is to, to overcome your your challenges is to just remind yourself of everything that you were taught as babies. Yep. Well, Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much. And honestly, I am I'm excited. And just like you, I'm I'm excited to see where I go with this as well. And I'm really glad that you invited me to uh, to speak to you today. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can link episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.